My first year of college, actually the first break in my first year of college, it was a fall break. We, uh, I was with a group of students. We were doing a service project, and the, the college I attended, the master's college, is like two hours from my home. And so we took a trip with, to do this work trip, and then we actually had an opportunity to go up to my home as the last night of the, of the work trip. There was like, I don't know, two carloads of us, maybe eight or ten as college, probably 15 people. Anyway, <clears throat> so now... We were driving, okay, we're driving up to my homeland, right? And I'm, I'm 17 years old, right? So it was, you know, I was still pretty young. And just so for context for you young people, this was before the age of GPS, okay? And while we were in, generally speaking, familiar territory on the one hand, on the other hand, it was late at night, it was very dark. And the way the lay of the land was, we made a wrong turn. And by we, I mean I. And... Uh, <laughs> So we made this wrong turn. Well, you know, you, you don't realize it at first sometimes. And on those, this is in the high desert in California. There's like miles and miles and miles of just flat nothing. And so we're driving along and we get to a certain point and I'm like, we are not supposed to be here. Like things are just looking really, you know, you're like, okay, this is not right. We shouldn't be, there shouldn't be this much desert in front of us. I live in, we lived in, lived in the mountains. So I was like, okay, we're not climbing. This is a problem. And so, you know, had to do a quick turnaround and, and we're finally able, and yes, I almost lost 27 of my fellow college students, okay? But we made it. We made it back to the, to the, to the house, and it was, everything worked out fine. Um, that moment when we realized we're not where we're supposed to be, right? That's a scary moment. I think sometimes, spiritually, though, we might think that in our lives, but we might think it for the wrong reasons. I think there's a faulty assumption in many Christians where we assume that when we put our faith in Jesus, when we follow Jesus, that our life is going to be easier, and it's going, to be, it's going to be comfortable, and we're going to enjoy peace right now. And then what happens in life, as what inevitably will happen, is we face conflict, trials, storms. And when we face those storms, we might look around and think, hold on a second, I'm not supposed to be here. Like, there's been a wrong turn. Either God is letting me down, because he's not keeping his end of the bargain, or I'm not believing enough, I don't have enough faith or something, and so I've messed it up. But one way or another, we might look around and think, I'm not supposed to be here. I wonder if my friend John Patton thought that. I've told you about him before. He was a Scottish missionary to uh, the island of Vanuatu, or New Hebrides, it used to be called back in the day. And uh, in the 1800s, he went there, and this is an island that has cannibalistic people groups. It was like as cutting front-edge missions as there was in the day. So he was working with these tribes and trying to share the gospel with them and all that. And a couple of tribal leaders hated him big time. They viewed him as an enemy. They banded together to try to hunt him down and kill him. He had some other friendly uh, tribal folks who said, they're coming to kill you. Quick, go hide, climb into this tree. I kid you not, this is a true story. So he goes in the bush and he climbs up in a tree. He has to spend an entire night hiding in a tree while he hears these tribes looking for him and, you know, their war cries and going around trying to figure out where he is. If I'm in that tree, I might be thinking, I'm not supposed to be here. Like, this is, this, I'm, I must have misheard the Lord when I thought he was calling me to go to New Hebrides. I think maybe he meant something else, like South London. I think that was what he probably meant. You know, like, I, I must have missed her because I shouldn't be facing this level of difficulty. Some of us right now are enjoying calm waters in our lives, and we should thank God for that. I think many of us are facing Trials, challenges, storms, choppy waters. And I think when you're tempted to say, I'm not supposed to be here, this is not supposed to be happening, I think we have to push back on that thinking a little bit. 
And this chunk of Matthew, Matthew 8, 23 to 27, builds off of last week, where we have this calling to difficult discipleship. Following Jesus isn't easy. And so what we'll see, what happens here in the story, we'll see that unfold with the disciples as they follow Jesus onto a boat. We're going to see the connection between following Jesus and fearing Jesus. The connection between discipleship and worship. All right, let's look at verse 23. Let's get into the details here. So verse 23, as he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Now, before we run too quickly past this, Jesus has been talking to large crowds on the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee, excuse me, northwestern side. He's going to travel down to the southeastern side. I'll show you that in a second. Uh, I'll show you that right now. Ian's going to show us. I'll show you that right now. So <clears throat> here we are. Here's Israel. Here's Israel. Here's the Sea of Galilee, okay? Uh, you know, uh, 27 miles, uh, 9 miles, what, 9 miles wide, 27 miles uh, long. Let's zoom in. I'll just show you so we can see the, the way that they're going. So here, Capernaum is where Jesus' headquarters is for his uh, Galilean ministry. Uh, Lots of crowds, lots of healing happening here in the early phases of the ministry. And now he's taking a boat ride with the disciples across the Sea of Galilee. There are a bunch of canyons up here that that can cause wind to come into the the Sea of Galilee really kind of at high speeds, which can make storms come out of nowhere. And so that was a thing that everybody knew. They were used to that living on the Sea of Galilee. I'll show you a picture just so you can kind of get a, a, a picture of it. So um, if you go to Israel with me, you can take this picture. Okay, you don't have to take my word for it, but here you go. And actually, we're actually kind of looking about where Jesus and the disciples are heading. So they, they come from way up here, and they're crossing the sea this way, kind of to where the, the vantage point of the camera is. Okay? Um, one more thing. The boat size, I'll give you this one too. So they actually found a first century boat, fishing boat. Um, encased in mud at the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So they've excavated it. And so it's not a huge boat, okay? So don't think like cruise ship. Go find Jesus. Which room is he sleeping in? Right? It's not that kind of a thing. It could have been bigger than this. It certainly wouldn't have been smaller than that. So that's, that's the setting. Um, let's back to the text, though. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. It's interesting that right in the last paragraph, the last section, Jesus had called disciples to follow him and it, leave the dead to bury their dead, right? He called the disciples, yeah, I don't know where I'm sleeping tomorrow night. And this is not a luxury uh, cruise that you're signing up for. But he did call these f- folks to follow him and he uses that term. And then right in verse 23, Matthew says, the disciples followed him onto the boat. So Jesus gets on the boat. The disciples are following their leader, right? They get on the boat. They're following Jesus. They're where they're supposed to be, right? Of course, Jesus immediately falls asleep. There they are in the middle of the boat. Suddenly, this big storm arises on the sea. And now the waves are crashing into the boat. And now they're thinking, this is not where we're supposed to be, right? We're not supposed to be in this storm. The fear starts to build up. The concern builds up. You see, I think Matthew's just, by using that word follow, I think he's tipping us off to something here, connecting it to the previous section. He's saying, listen, following Jesus means following him into storms. Sometimes when you get on that boat, it's going to take you to a difficult circumstance. And yes, you might even be able to avoid difficult circumstances by not following Jesus. That is absolutely true. You could make your life uh, circumstantially easier by not following Christ. But here, Matthew says, well, the disciples, we followed him. We followed him on the boat, and this boat went right into a storm. 
And so there's this kind of this initial discussion here of, well, well, am I really willing to follow Jesus into hardship, into difficulty, into stormy waters? You could almost hear Satan whispering, did Jesus really want you to follow him here? Does Jesus really want you where you are right now? Does he really want you to face this challenge, this hardship? Don't you think he really wants you to just be happy without any hardship, without any difficulty? Of course, we recognize storms take many different forms, don't they? Maybe Matthew primarily has in mind the challenge of persecution. To follow Jesus means you're going to take heat. Persecution comes like salsa. It comes in mild, medium, and hot. Okay? And so you, you, you face varying levels of persecution as a believer. But the fact is that regardless of what level of persecution it is, it still hurts. It's still hard. Whether it's the family giving you a cold shoulder, conflict in your workplace, kids at school treating you weird because, you know, you're, you're a committed Christian. But whatever it is, when you face that hardship, you might be tempted to think, I'm not supposed to be here. Like, it's supposed to be easier or better. Could be a physical trial. We know all about those. Our recent season here at Green Pond, we've, we've had a lot of physical trials. Broken bodies are a kind of storm. Can I get an amen? Yeah, they're hard. Financial difficulties. So much stress and conflict in our lives comes from dealing with our finances. And you can save money by lying on your taxes. But you can't lie on your taxes and follow Jesus. So there's a decision to be made there. Are you going to follow him onto this boat? Emotional hurts are a kind of storm. We all know words can do so much damage. Relationships can, can sting, can cause so much hurt and pain. Does Jesus really want us on this boat? Like, wasn't there an easier way? Just because we're in a storm doesn't mean we're in the wrong place. Just because you're going through a difficult time that does not equal, I'm not where God wants me to be or I've messed up somehow. That doesn't, mean we, we don't, that doesn't mean we always make right decisions. Sometimes we make foolish decisions, absolutely. But this is about following Jesus. And when we follow Jesus and that following Jesus puts us in a difficult spot, we're still right where we need to be. Those disciples were on that boat freaking out and that was right where God wanted them to be. That's right where Jesus had led them. Right, right where Jesus had led them. What is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. Watch verse 25 and 26, the beginning there. So Jesus kept sleeping at the end of verse 24. So the disciples came and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. Now, it's not like these guys aren't experienced on the lake. They, they had a lot of experience on the lake. But the fact is, this storm was so bad, and they were out apparently in the middle, where if it goes down, it's like, it's tough, you know? They're not, they're not swimming triathlons, you know, and, and like ready to, to swim all the way to shore. So they're like, they're like freaking out. The fear's got them. Lord, save us. They're panicking. We're going to die. In verse 26, Jesus' response is telling. He said to them, why are you afraid, you of little faith? Now let's think about that one for a second, right? They're afraid because, well, basically they're afraid because of physics, right? Because water comes into the boat, and the boat can't handle the extra weight. The water causes the boat to sink down, which causes more water to come in, which means the boat's going to sink, and they're going to die. So that's like physics, right? There's, a, there's an objectively reasonable fear here going on. But Jesus, his response says, you're missing something about the situation, yeah, yeah, it's a storm, got that. 
but you're missing something in your response. Why are you afraid? Why, why are you afraid? And then he, he says a catchphrase or an important term in Matthew, you have little faith. You little faithers, <laughs> right? Jesus identifies the connection again, as he did in the Sermon on the Mount, in the section on anxiety. Here he, he identifies a connection between fear and lack of faith or weak faith. He says, you're afraid because you don't have enough faith in me. Jesus was good. He was sleeping. And it was like REM sleep, okay? Like he was good because he was at peace. He, he knew, he knew where they were going. And so here as he challenges the disciples to, to deal with their fear, the storm's still going on. And he's teaching this lesson. He says, you, you, you're afraid, but you've forgotten who I am. You see, faith displaces fear as we follow Jesus. Now, in our, in our fearful moments, we run through the worst case scenarios. Again, that little physics game we just played, that's what they're doing. They're seeing the, the waves crash onto the boat. They're calculating the water, right? And they're going, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die. And they're in a panic, right? But we do that too, don't we? With all those kinds of trials that we just listed off where we just get panicky and we're just worst case scenarioing everything. I mean, you could be mowing the lawn and a murder hornet could, could sting you. <laughs> right? Like, that could be it. You could go down. Like, that could, I mean, that's a random example, but, you know, th- <laughs> things like that happen, right? So, like, th- th- those things happen, right? So, you, but your, so your imagination starts to run, and then we sprinkle in a little social media on the top, right? A little tabloid action on there, and now we've got fantastic tales of horrible things and this fear, and all the while, though, what fear is doing is it's, it's actually dwarfing our faith, and Jesus confronts the fear in the disciples by challenging them to think about their faith in him. You have little faith. Come on, guys. Let's not forget where we've been in chapter 8. On the heels of the Sermon on the Mount, what has Jesus been doing? He has demonstrated his power over nature by healing people without even having to touch them. He's cast out demons, and he's done it to tons of people already so that his fame has gone throughout, grown throughout the region And the disciples have had a front row seat for all of this. He's like, you woke me up for this? Come on, guys. What are you afraid of this morning? That's a good question to ask. Because it will expose where we're struggling to trust the Lord. So ask yourself, what am I afraid of? What's keeping me up at night, right? What am I struggling with? What are my worst case scenarios that I keep playing over and over in my head? Fear says, I have good reason to be afraid. Faith says, I have good reason not to be afraid. Why? Because I'm trusting God to provide based on his character. D.A. Carson said, faith chases out fear. I like that. Faith chases out fear. It runs it out, right? We have to be honest about our struggle, but we're not just stopping there. We're honest about our struggle and we're turning to the Lord and trusting the Lord. So you can ask yourself, well, where is my faith little, right? Where is my faith small? Where do I need to strengthen my faith in trusting the Lord? They were afraid because they thought Jesus was just a passenger on that boat. They had forgotten who he was. And just so we all know, let's look back at verse 26, right? He said to them, why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up 
and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. It's so great because Jesus, it's a total setup. The whole thing is a setup, right? Follow me on the boat. Like he's out and they wake him up. They're freaking out. And Jesus is like, listen, you don't get it. Your fear is causing you not to trust me. You've got little faith. You need to trust me. And he says, just so everybody knows, can everybody hear? Okay, all right. And then he rebukes. He rebukes the wind. He rebukes the sea, the waves. And there was a great calm immediately, right? Instantly, great calm. And you just can imagine, I mean, the boat wasn't much bigger than the one I showed you if it was bigger at all. So it's not like a massive boat. So they're all, they're all there and they've all been, you know, trying to get the water out of the thing and they're freaking out, scurrying about, right? All whatever. And then at that moment, as everything goes totally peaceful and still, you can just picture the shock on their faces. Well, I, I don't know what they thought he was going to do. Like if they thought he's like, oh, I checked on the app and the storm's going to pass. So calm down, guys. Like if it was that kind of a thing, or like, oh, Jesus, he's our leader. He'll, he'll know what to do. He'll know like what the protocol is for abandoning ship. And, you know, I, no, I don't know what they thought he was going to do. They were just afraid. They thought they were going to die. They woke him up. But I guarantee you they didn't think he was going to do that. Where he just did one of these. Ah, enough. <laughs> done. What has he done? He has demonstrated once again his sovereign power over the universe. The universe that he created as the eternal second person of the Trinity. So he's like, the waves are scaring you? Done. The wind is freaking you out? Done. I'm the boss of all of that. It is a, it a, a remarkable and glorious picture of Jesus in all of his glory as God who became flesh for us. Right? We're talking about the, the reality of what John says when he says Jesus is the word, the word became flesh, right? But he's the word who was the agent of creation. Nothing was created without him for all of it. In Hebrews 1 is the exact representation of, of God. And when we look at that, we see God and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1, we talked about it today. I mean, he's the firstborn over all creation. It's, it all belongs to him. Nothing, nothing was made without, without his, his action as the creator, his activity as the creator. And so here, the disciples got a front row lesson about just who Jesus is. But what does that mean, right? Well, verse 27, the, the men were amazed. Now, <clears throat> he doesn't say the disciples here. He calls them disciples in verse 23. In verse 27, he calls them men. It's an odd word choice, given the context. And several commentators, and I agree with them, think that there's, Matthew is kind of winking at the fact that Jesus is no mere man. In fact, Matthew has already gone to great lengths to explain that Jesus is the Son of God in the infancy narrative, in the birth narrative. He's explained that he is the, the Son of God who took on flesh for us, right? Emmanuel, God with us. And so here, the men were amazed. They were blown away. And they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. When they ask that question, that question is loaded with messianic power. What kind of man is this? He's healing people. Doesn't even have to touch them. He's casting out demons. Demons are afraid of him. They're running scared. And here, all he has to do is say a word and the storm goes away. Who are we dealing with here? 
That's exactly what Jesus wanted them to consider. And then, you know, you almost get the impression that he kind of gave them a look, right? After he just kind of looks at him like, you could just let me sleep, you know? Because I'm not just a passenger on this boat. I'm the sovereign Lord of this universe. Following Jesus into the storm makes sense, but it makes sense because he's sovereign over it. Following Jesus into the storm makes sense because he is sovereign over it. And there's a whole lot of Old Testament imagery that really comes to kind of a a climax here in this particular narrative in Matthew, where we see God sovereign over storms. Most often in the Old Testament, God sends a storm as a sign of judgment. You can think of Jonah, right? You know, Jonah, he's running from God and and trying to go the other way, and and God sends a storm. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of, material scripturally given to that in the Old Testament, Psalm 18, Psalm 104, Psalm 106, Nahum 1. I mean, there's a lot of examples. But you just need to know that here, the storm is not actually an expression of judgment. It's an expression of his power and salvation. Because what do they cry out to Jesus? They cry out, save us, because we're going to die. And when we think about God saving people who are in danger near water, immediately we connect to that Exodus story where God rescues his people through the water, right? Showing his power over creation, showing his his supremacy to the gods of Egypt. So maybe there's a little bit of that exodus ringing in in our ears here. Of course, Psalm 107, it has to ring in our ears here, where we have this beautiful expression of God calming the seas and the storm. That's exactly what Jesus does here because he's sovereign over it. And as we think about what that proves, it shows us that Jesus is indeed God, And it's not just that he's God in the abstract. He's the God who took on flesh for us and who is therefore worthy of our trust. And when we put our faith in him, we put our fears, right, on the the run. Because faith chases out our fear. We're supposed to look here at the power and purpose of Jesus and yes, be blown away. So be amazed, absolutely. But also be encouraged, Because you're in the boat with him, right? You're in the boat with him. Following Jesus into the storm makes sense because he is sovereign over it. I wonder if you could personalize that truth this morning. You think about your storm that you're facing or that you may may face in the future. And you think, okay, am I really willing to follow Christ in the midst of difficulty and hardship? And The answer to that is, well, I'm willing if I understand that he is sovereign over that storm. And so I can trust him through the choppy waters, right? And through whatever the challenges that I'm facing. I trust him because he is the sovereign creator. He is the eternal second person of the Trinity who took on flesh for us. And I can trust him because of what happens next in Matthew. Because he's not just the the God-man who calms storms. But Jesus is the God-man who went to the cross out of love for us. So as we keep reading in Matthew, we get that beautiful picture of not only the power of Jesus, but also the love of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and there's a lot of fear in your life because there's no faith in your life. You've never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You're doing it. You're going to get it done on your own. And the Bible's very clear on this. You can't do it. But the Bible's also very clear on the fact that Jesus is not only able to deliver, but he is inclined to deliver. 
It's not just that he can do it, but it's that he has said, I will do it for you. And so maybe there's an opportunity for you this morning to confront your fear and maybe for the first time ever to be a person of faith and to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for giving you purpose and to be the Lord of your life. You see, this narrative, you know, commentators have argued about, is it about discipleship or is it about Christology? Is it about following Jesus or is it about worship? And I think the answer is yes. It's about both of those things. Because there's no point in following someone who's not worthy of worship, right? And there's no point in worshiping, right? Claiming that we we're worshiping without actually following. So I think in this narrative, we get a beautiful picture of the, the relationship between discipleship and worship. Discipleship, following Jesus, is a function of worship, right? Worship is that foundation. And when we understand who Jesus is, right, now we're prepared to follow him into the storm and the difficulties, Discipleship is a function of worship. Or you could say this, we follow Jesus, we follow Jesus best when we fear Jesus. I know the fear thing is a little weird. Our culture has a complicated relationship of the fear of the Lord, right? Because we don't like authority. But in the Bible, the fear of the Lord is a blessing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to say that I see the glory of God to the degree that he has revealed it to me, and I am blown away by that. And I, I don't belittle it, right? I'm not going to pretend that he's not glorious and majestic and transcendent and way, way, way beyond anything I can imagine. So yeah, I fear God. But that fear is never fear, like fear of judgment. The fear of the Lord that's a blessing in the Bible is the fear of the Lord that results in trust in him. And it results in a transformed life because we follow him. Follow Jesus. But follow him because you fear him. Because you know who he is. Because you know he's the sovereign over all creation. And he's used his power for your good. You know, it's interesting. In verse uh, 26 and 27, especially verse 27, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Another odd wording choice there. The wind, winds and the sea obey him. We call that personification when you take part of nature and you, you know, treat it like it's a person, right? Like the winds and the sea are sitting around talking about it. What do you think, guys? Should we obey, right? But actually, Matthew, no doubt, Matthew knows that that is where the rubber meets the road for followers of Jesus. The question is, will we obey? Will we follow him? And Matthew, I think in this, again, in this beautiful, short but beautiful narrative, he says, listen, the winds and the sea, they get it. And when Jesus spoke, they obeyed. You follow Jesus onto the boat, you fear Jesus, then when he calls you to action, you obey. Not so that you can earn his favor or blessing, but because you already have his favor and his blessing. That's the calling of the Christian life. Again, discipleship is a function of worship. It's very possible that you're here this morning and you're dissatisfied with your Christian walk. You feel like, I'm not, I'm not really walking the way I should. I want to grow more spiritually. So often when we ask those questions, we want quick fixes, right? We want, a, we want a two minute YouTube video on how to fix my Christian life, right? But the fact is there's no quick fix for being a follower, being a disciple of Jesus. What will help you to grow as a follower of Jesus is growing in your worship. Be amazed at him. Grow in your knowledge of his goodness and his attributes. 
dive into his word, right, and, and consider who he is from the, the record that we have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. If you want to grow as a disciple, grow as a worshiper. Because those two worlds go hand in hand. Discipleship is a function of worship. Now, at the end of the day, you're still confronting the reality that he may lead me into a storm. And he will. Guaranteed, if you're following Jesus, he will lead you into a storm. And so maybe after a passage like this, what you need to do is you need to buckle down the hatches a little bit, right? How's that for nautical terminology? You like that? So we we want to take seriously the reality that as I follow Jesus, I may get into a situation where I'm in a tree and cannibals are trying to kill me. It could happen, right? It has happened. But when you look around and you think, hold on, I'm not supposed to be here. Maybe take a step back and say, actually, maybe I am supposed to be here. Maybe I'm supposed to be here because my captain is leading me. And he's the sovereign king of the universe. So he's worthy of my faith. He's worthy of my trust. I can rely on him. And I'm willing to to take those steps of obedience today. There's a good chance if you're following Jesus that you know of areas where you need to grow, where you need to make improvements. You need to strengthen your faith. Do it. Do it by growing in worship for Jesus. Do it not because it's easier, but do it because it's better. Those disciples were amazed and their lives were changed. I wonder, will our lives be changed? My friend John Patton wrote about being stuck in that tree. And I just, this is such a blessing to me and I want it to be a blessing to you. And I'm not going to read it with a Scottish accent because that would be terrible. So... Listen to what he says about that experience. He says, Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus. Alone, yet not alone. When you're in the storm, you may feel so alone but you're not. Alone, yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence and to enjoy his consoling fellowship. Did you hear that? He just asked for more nights in the tree. If thus thrown back upon your own soul alone, all alone in the midnight in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you then? This is John saying, I know Jesus was with me in that tree, but is he with you? Have you trusted him? Because there will be a day when that storm is raging and you think, I am not supposed to be here. But when, when you're facing that fear, let faith do its work. And look to Jesus. We follow Jesus into the storm because he is sovereign over it. Would you please pray with me and we'll ask God to help us live out this passage. Lord, once again, we pause this morning and we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for even from a very familiar text, there's so much for us to glean, so many ways we can grow spiritually. And so, Lord, we ask for your help, that you would help us to believe what we have read Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us to worship you in light of this narrative. You are sovereign over nature because you created it. And Lord, you're sovereign over our lives. 
And Lord, sometimes we doubt it. And sometimes we think we're not supposed to be where we are. And we question your purposes. And we're frustrated by the difficulties of our circumstances. But Lord, help us to look to you in faith. We confess, Lord, we are people of little faith. And Lord, we confess that so often we let our fears dictate our attitude. Lord, strengthen our faith. Help us to grow as worshipers so that we can grow as followers. Lord, help help us to be willing to acknowledge where we are weak. Give us the courage to confess our shortcomings, our failures, Lord, our, our struggles. And Lord, strengthen us, we ask, by your Holy Spirit, using your word. Remind us of how powerful you are, but Lord, also remind us of how good you are. And Lord... We ask that you would help us to be confident in the boat because we're with you. Lord, I I do pray for those who may be here who do not know you as their savior. They've never trusted you. I pray that you would show them your goodness this morning, that you would convict them of their sin and bring them to you. Lord, we ask that as we go out and we face whatever trials we're gonna face, even this very day, we ask that you would be glorified by how we walk through those trials. Help us to walk in dependence on you And we ask that as we do so, that you would be glorified and we would reap the benefits. Lord, we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.